0: Pull out your message notes. I'm ready to dive in. Got a great message. Uh, If I were to title the message today, it'd be called Making a Move. Making a Move. Uh, So many of us are faced with challenges. We're faced with obstacles in life uh, that are very difficult. Uh, They can be a little overwhelming. Some of them may not be very difficult, but they are challenges nonetheless. And we all walk through them. And so I want to talk about what do you do when you're facing obstacles in life. I mean, some of you, maybe you're a brand new dad or a brand new mom. I remember, uh, I've got four kids now. My oldest is 13. I remember when we had our son, Caden, up in Tyler, Texas. Uh, it's crazy, right? I mean, to drive a car, you got to take a test. You got to go to driving school. To have a baby, you ain't got to do nothing. Like, you show up at the hospital, you have the baby. How many were scared to death? Like, I'm like, you're trusting me with this baby that fits in the palm? What Caden fit in like three palms of hands. Big baby, like nine something, 11 something, something like that. What, nine, 11? Good Lord. Not 11, huh? Woo! They, uh, I remember, though, you know, the only qualification for being a dad, you know what it was? Get a car seat in your car. I was say, make sure you got a car seat and you take it home. I thought, good Lord, they don't know what they got into for trusting me to be a dad. Uh, and so you, maybe it's that. Maybe you're a new mom, dad, and you're thinking, man, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with the responsibilities. Maybe you're trying to start a business. feel like God's put a business on the inside of you. got lots of entrepreneurs that come here. And, and so you've started the process, but it's a little bit harder than just going to get a DBA, a doing business as. And so you, you find yourself a little bit frustrated in the process. Maybe you're trying to go back to school. You realize the importance and the value of an education. And so you, you've got a family, you got a husband, you got kids, and, and you might be thinking about Anchor Bend College. Whatever it is, you're like, man, I'm going back to school. And you thought it was going to be a little bit easier than it's actually been. You're facing some challenges. Maybe you heard the series uh, that I shared on uh, about getting out of debt, the debt trap. And so you made a commitment. Look, honey, we're going to get out of debt. Starting to sell things, life's going well, and as soon as you made the commitment, your car breaks down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The plumbing at your house not only goes out, but now has to be replaced. You made the commitment to get out of debt, and you lose your job. You're like, oh, well, that that figures. You know, I mean, there there are these problems and these struggles and these challenges. Maybe you got health challenges, and you went to the doctor, and the doctor said, look, we can fix all this, but you're going to have to change your lifestyle. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's much easier taking a pill than changing a lifestyle. I'm like, Lord, just give me a pill. Give me some. No, no, no. You just got to change the way you eat. You got to add some exercise. But if you change it, you can change your life. And so you find yourself a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit frustrated, some obstacles. It's not as easy as you thought. Maybe it's your marriage, trying to restore that relationship with your estranged spouse. And so you thought, if I act this way, then they'll act that way. And it's been a lot harder than you thought. The point is, you're faced with a situation that seems a little bit impossible. That if God doesn't step in, I don't know if we can do this. Well, I want to encourage you this morning, there is a a figure in the Bible that we're going to talk about that he has the same situation. His name is Jonathan, and he is facing some impossible odds. It's 1 Samuel chapter 14. It's where we're going to dive in today. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up and go there with us, or you can always follow along in the screen, on the screen. Uh, Jonathan is actually Saul's son. Now, let me give you a little bit of context if you're new to the faith, if you're new to Christianity. King Saul was the king over Israel, and they're in this skirmish with the Philistines. They're fighting the Philistines. All throughout Saul's reign, they would fight the Philistines. They're the enemy that never really goes away. They fight, they win. They fight, they lose constantly battling against their enemies of the Philistines. And so Saul and Jonathan and the army are camped out, and Jonathan is frustrated with his dad, the king, and he's frustrated with some of the soldiers. They're kind of chilling out beneath the pomegranate tree, and he's like, man, we got to do something, and so Jonathan begins to make a bold move. He's not going to allow himself to be complacent. He actually does a commando-style raid. Him and his armor-bearer, they run up the side of a cliff and uh, attack the Philistines. And his battle plan is is a little bit God-inspired and a little bit crazy. Anybody ever had one of those plans? Like, like it's a little bit of you, and it's probably a whole lot of crazy. Uh, You you find yourself in a good place because this is where Jonathan found himself, and I'm going to read through. There's, there's quite a few verses. I'd like to just read it all, and then I'm going to give you some thoughts about this text that I think will bless you. Verse uh, one, or verse 6 says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps. Everybody say perhaps. Now, I do want to warn you, if you're new to Anchor Bend, if you engage and amen and get involved, I preach a lot quicker. I'm just telling you. So the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But here's the crazy. If they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that is our signal that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes that they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and the armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to the armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our our hands. Jonathan climbs up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and the armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. And then verse 15 says, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and the raiding parties. The ground shook. So here the Lord brought an earthquake. It was really a supernatural earthquake, and it caused panic to the armies of the Philistine. Let me just pray over us. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray you bless the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to illuminate in our heart what you want to speak to us. Let your anointing saturate this place, destroy the yoke, and Father, use my words to minister life to your people. In Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. So this is the story of Jonathan. I mean, a little bit crazy, a little bit God-inspired. Him and his armor-bearer, they're going up, and he was tired of being complacent. He was tired of sitting still. I mean, think about this. What would have happened if he would have stayed at the camp? Which is what would have been safe, right? His dad was there. The soldiers who would protect him were there. They were, though, in this camp as being safe, they were complacent. They were comfortable. They were allowing themselves to not take advantage of an opportunity that God would bring through Jonathan. And so this holy discontentment came from God. Isn't it amazing how God will cause you to be discontent when others are satisfied? When others are happy with being still and right where they're at and not moving forward in life, you begin to wrestle and you say, God, I'm not really satisfied with this. I think there's more. I think that you've got something greater for me. And we see that here with Jonathan, he begins to take a risk. He takes a leap of faith and because of this risk, because of this step of faith, God brings victory not only to Jonathan and the armor bearer, but actually to the entire nation of Israel. And so for us, we recognize life is full of battles. Life has these fights that we go through and this time of wrestling when life is tough. Sometimes we have big battles. Sometimes we have small battles. Sometimes we have easy battles. Sometimes we have hard battles. But nonetheless, we find ourselves fighting these battles through life. And what I've learned is that life has a way of beating us up. Life has a way of causing us to become cautious when at times we should be daring and risky. Life has a way of causing us to remain complacent because it's comfortable. And we got to ask ourselves, God, are you asking me to take a risk? God, are you asking me to take a step of faith in my life? And the first thing we know about faith is that faith is not the absence of fear. We understand that 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 in battles, that in fights that we go through in life, fear is gonna to try to attack us. And the, the, the fallacy of the Christian walk is that if I have faith, I'll never experience fear. That's absolutely false. Absolutely wrong. I remember that I used to quote that verse of Scripture, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind and self-discipline. And the whole time I would say, God, I expect the fear to go. However, the fear never left. What I realized was God said, I want you to do it afraid. I'm not asking you to make the fear go before I move. What I'm saying, God, is I'm going to move even though I experience fear you got to learn to do it afraid. That's what faith does. Because when you're afraid, you will stay still. You will stay paralyzed. You will remain comfortable in defeat when God wants you to move forward in victory. In verse 6, I love what it says. Jonathan said, perhaps. Perhaps. Everybody say perhaps. Perhaps Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And there's a lot of things that can be said about perhaps because perhaps really means maybe. Maybe the Lord will act on our behalf. Behalf, maybe God will do what what I think God will do. Possibly, God will do what we believe God is going to do for us. But faith never has any guarantees. And, and that's what we have to understand. There's not a guarantee that when you step out in faith, God's going to do exactly what you're believing for Him to do. Because sometimes what we call victory is not what God calls victory at all. God allows us to go through what He wants us to go through, not necessarily what we want. So we got to understand there's no guarantee. There's a paradox of faith. There's this promise That we're believing God for, but there's also this perhaps, and both of them coexist. You know, perhaps things could go well, but perhaps things could go really bad. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? It may not go so well. See, I know God can. I believe God can. But even if God doesn't, I still believe. I know God can. I believe God can. But even if God doesn't, I still believe. We see this all throughout the Bible, the story of the three Hebrew boys. If you're new to faith, it's found in Daniel. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. And so here we have these men standing up for their faith in a culture that is hostile to God. And they're saying we're not going to compromise, we're not going to give in, we're not going to worship a false image, even though we find ourselves as slaves. And what they ultimately said is, look, we believe in God, we believe He will, we believe He can, but even if He doesn't, we won't. Look at what it says in verse 17 of chapter 3. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. So in other words, my God can perform miracles. And I need you to know there is nothing too hard for God. God can do the impossible. God has done the impossible. And God will do the impossible. But look, he says, we believe he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So perhaps, so in other words, we don't know, but we're believing. We know he can. We're believing he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to shrink back. We're not going to remain comfortable. We're not going to be paralyzed in fear. We're moving forward in faith. And if we don't see victory on this side of heaven, I'm going to see it on the other side of eternity. Some of you have got to recognize that God wants you to step out in a bold way, in a fresh way. And, and so for you, it's saying, God, I, I, I recognize I'm battling fear, but fear doesn't come from you, which is what? 2 Timothy 1, 7. God says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of a sound mind. We learn to do it afraid. Look, what he's saying here is that fear, God is not the author of fear. Fear doesn't come from God. The enemy is the author of fear. But I, I want us to look at that too. God never said you wouldn't wrestle with fear. God never said you wouldn't battle fear. He just said when you battle it, look, I give you power, love, and of a sound mind. And I love that sound mind. One translation says self-discipline. Come on, how many know sometimes self-discipline will let us beat the, the enemy of fear? Just doing the right thing because it's the right thing when it's the right time. I get a good amen right there. <laughs> self-discipline. Faith is not the absence of fear, it's doing it afraid. The second thing we see is that Jonathan actually invited his armor bearer to go on this journey with him. He didn't try to do it by himself, he took someone with him. And so we got to learn to invite people to take the journey that God's taking us on. We should never do life alone. God's called us to live life with people that love you, that believe in you, that will fight for you. There are moments in life where I've got nothing left to give. There's moments in life where I don't feel loved. There's moments in life where I feel like I'm not enough, that I don't measure up, that the enemy has beat me up in my mind, in my heart, and I need people around me to say, you got this, man. You can do this. You're a champion. We got this together. And that's the beauty of taking people in the battle with us. Look at what Ecclesiastes 4.12 says. By yourself, you're unprotected. And there's this, this lie that is countercultural to what God's word says. That like, if I can do it on my own. God never asked you to do it on your own. I'm good enough by myself. No, no, God never said to be by yourself. That's where the enemy is like a roaring lion. Do you know what lions do when they roar? They scare their prey. They try to isolate their prey. So if you're alone, you're a perfect victim for the enemy to come in and try to destroy your life. Why? Because there's no one there to protect you. There's no one there to help you in your time of need. And that's why we have small groups. You know, small groups here at our church, we're not just a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups because we recognize that as believers, God's called us to live life in community. God never called me to live life alone. And the thing I love about this is that Jonathan is the one that invited the armor bearer to come on the journey. Sometimes we're like, I'm waiting for them to invite me. No, baby, listen, if you're going to experience victory, stop waiting for someone to invite you and begin to invite yourself. Hey, baby, where are you going? I'm coming too. Where's the small group? Great. I'm going to show up. And when we invite those people into our life, I promise you God will surround you with people that will fight with you. We got 78 different small groups to choose from. We got serve team small groups. We have young adult small groups, married small groups, men small groups, youth small groups, young married. The reality is there is a group for you. You've just got to go out and find the people to do life with. Go to the website. Look at it. Check it out and get involved. Invite people to go on the journey with you in life. You know, I was thinking, even as a pastor, sometimes you can think, well, do you really live this out? I do. I've had a small group since the beginning of launching this church, and I wasn't raised in a culture of small groups. I mean, I don't know, come from more of a charismatic background. We did everything on a Sunday. If you could do it on a Sunday, we did it. It was three and a half hours long. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We didn't have to worry about racing people to go eat, because we was always the last. It's like, we're going to be there, it'd be 2 o'clock, praise God. Why? Because revival. Every week, revival. Yeah, you know, anyway, <laughs> we didn't do small groups. And I remember getting ready to launch this church, my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, speaking into us and saying, listen, if you want people to experience freedom, it's in the context of of relationship. And if you're going to lead a church of small groups, you got to be in small groups. And so we said, we're going to do it. And at first it's a little awkward. It's like, well, do I really need it? But now I not only lead one, I lead three small groups. And it's because I need those relationships in my life. I need people to love on me when I'm walking through it. I need people to cheer me on when there's success. On my good days, I want you to be there. And on my bad days, I need you to be there. I need to do life with people that love me and not be because I'm their pastor, but because I'm a man. I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, my dad tragically lost his brother uh, unexpectedly, just tragically, just quickly. And it was amazing. Look, I pastor this great church, and and the thing that I, I was reflecting on, and, you know, of course, our staff said a few things and stuff. But you know who called me? You know who texted me? You know who checked up on me? People say, I'll drive. Where's it at? I'm like, no, it's two hours away. I got it. Thank you. Well, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I need you to know how much I'm here for you. What you need? You need food? I'll bring you food. Well, I might need some food. Chocolate muffins is always good in morning. Come on, somebody. I mean, but do you realize it wasn't, it wasn't the church at large. And the truth is, it's not your responsibility at large. It's the responsibility of the group that I live life with. And every one of them, pastor, I'm here for you. Pastor, I got you. What you need. And this is what I know. Some of you come week in and week out to this church and we've got a large church. Things are going good, but you feel isolated and alone. The question is, who have you invited on your journey of life? That's your support system. It's a lifeline that God's given us. The third thing we see is keep your focus on God. So interesting here that they didn't focus on what they didn't have. And I realize, and you, I hope, realize you will never have enough to do what God's asking you to do on your own. Like if you did, it wouldn't be a God-sized dream. If you did, it wouldn't be a God-sized miracle. You could just go and do it without God. You'll never have enough. And for them, they knew they didn't have enough and they knew that their victory was gonna come through God alone. Look at verse six. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So God, you wanna use a lot? You'll do that. You wanna use few? You'll do that. Nothing can stop you. And then verse 12, I love it. Climb up after me, The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Now, I love this because this is after the Lord has proven what he said. His test was if they call us up. And so I love it because the Lord has affirmed this plan. The Lord has affirmed what he wants to do in his life. And so now we see him saying, look, I'm going to focus on the victory being from you, not on what I don't have. If you go and read this story, what you may not know is that the army of Israel doesn't even have swords, so the Philistines took away all the blacksmiths. And so if the Israelites were going to get something of iron, they actually had to go into the Philistine camps, which is pretty unusual, and go to another enemy city to get the ironwork that they needed because they didn't want the Israelites to forge weapons to fight against them. And you don't read that in this text, but when you recognize that, there's only two people that have swords. It's Jonathan and Saul. So think about this crazy friend, this armor bearer. He's like, I'm going to go fight they got swords and all the weapons. How are you going to fight them? I don't know, but God's going to bring the victory. Doesn't that cause you to recognize their faith in God even more? They didn't even have the tools to fight a proper battle, but they knew because God had affirmed it, they were going to go up and beat the enemy because of God's strength, not because of what they had. we got to recognize that you'll never have everything that you think you need. So I hear people say, I can't do it. I can't start a business. Why? Because I don't have money. Well, do you have any money? Use what you have. Well, you know, if I do that, maybe it's tithing, maybe it's offerings, maybe it's whatever it is. It's like you got to use the little bit you got to do what God is speaking to you to do so he can multiply. You're right. You don't have enough money, but I know a God who has endless resources. Maybe it's a college degree. And, you know, you're like, man, God, I would do it, but we just can't afford it. And all the, you know, I, I just don't know if I got what I, I need and my kids. And, and the truth is, no, you don't have it right now. But if you'll take one step at a time, you keep moving forward. God will give you what you need every step of the way. Why? Because it's God, not you. Someone says, look, I ain't got the right relationships. I was raised on the wrong side of the track, or if you only knew where I came from, no. You don't have the right relationships on earth, but you got the right relationship in heaven. God knows everybody you need to know, and he could create a divine appointment at the right time, at the right place as you move forward in your life. It's not about what you don't have. It's about God using what you do have. Every miracle in the Bible begins with God using what we have. In the Gospels, you read the story of Jesus feeding 5,000, Uh, He told the disciples, feed them. They're like, how are we going to feed them? Well, bring that boy over here. And the boy had a sack lunch. He had five loaves and three fish. God used that sack lunch to feed the masses. He didn't just make food come out from heaven magically. He used what was natural. He multiplied it, which is supernatural. And then he met the need, which was feeding the masses. Look at the wedding of Canaan. They needed wine, which I always find that such an interesting, uh, you know, miracle. Hey, Pastor, see, God loves wine. uh, Some of you like turn the water into wine. (laughs) But can you imagine? I don't know if you know the story. It's a very interesting story. It's the first miracle that Jesus does. When you read the story, he didn't just make wine fill up in these empty containers. He used containers that were contaminated because they were used for washing hands and feet. Dirty containment, water, dirty containers. That's, hey, bring me what you got. And can you imagine now, they're walking here. He blesses it and says, now take it to your master. Can you imagine being a servant saying, this man had better get it right. Because if I give my master some of this nasty, dirty water, he's going to have my head. So what happened? The servant had to have believed enough in Jesus to do what Jesus said to do, and the miracle didn't happen before he got to the master. The miracle happened on the way. Some of you are asking God to give you a miracle now, and he's saying, I'm going to give it to you, but it's on the way. Oh, but I may look stupid. Yeah, you may, but that's okay. Are you desperate enough for the miracle that you're asking God for? got to focus on God. The fourth thing is you got to take one step at a time. Don't get overwhelmed with being in a tough spot. Don't get overwhelmed with all the end game of where you think God's taking you. Just fight one fight at a time. I love it. Jonathan just walked up the cliff. He didn't try to fight the whole army. He just fought one win at a time. I'm coming after you. I'm going to whoop you. He whoops them, all right, I'm going to whoop you next, over an, half an acre. I love it. I don't believe God ever gives us everything all at one time because we couldn't handle it, but God allows us to fight one giant, then we fight another giant, and then we fight another giant. Come on, I'll whoop you too. i fight another one, just one step at a time. We've got to recognize that's really God's process. That we just, one at a time, I'm going to overcome this obstacle, I'm going to face this hardship, whatever it is, I will not get overwhelmed. For me, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I mean, if you looked at everything you have to do, and I'm no different than you guys, I mean, between your schedules, between your workload, between family, between church, I mean, no, nobody is begging for more things to do. And everybody wants more of you, and there's more responsibilities and more things that are required of you. And what I've learned is this, when I start to feel overwhelmed, when I start to feel like I'm in a tough spot, that I'll just take it one step at a time. And and I always get in these spots where I'll preach three times in one week. That's not normal. I'm, I'm really thankful that as a church, we don't do Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Come on, somebody. I don't know how the old school did it. You, know, you spend 15 hours on one message where there are weeks where I'll have three sermons to preach. And you know, I'm asking God, what, so th- when I think of that, I'm like, I don't even have 45 hours in my week. Oh, oh, and that's the week that sister so-and-so's uncle died, that they've asked me to do the funeral. Oh, and that's the same week that a year ago, someone asked me to do the wedding. And that's the same week that my son has a massive football game that I can't miss. Dad, this is the one. And I promised him three weeks ago. It all happens in that same week. Oh, and then we got family counseling. You know, you can't miss no family counseling. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's like if anything could be added to my schedule, it was. And it's almost like the enemy's like, see, you can't do it. You, you're going to bomb that message. You're not going to do it here. You'll never be effective. And what I've learned is God just tells me, just get to the next thing. What's the first thing I've got to get to? I'm going to prepare for that. I get to that. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? I don't have to get overwhelmed or exhausted. And so what I also learned, and I really think I learned this in college, Uh, You know, college is a very interesting thing. I don't know that I use anything that I learned in college, but it was good. Uh, If I do, I just don't remember, Um, which is probably not good anyway, but it's a great discipline. The thing that I probably walked away with the most in college is this half the battles, just not quitting. I mean, how many of you went to college, and it's like you—it's like the day before you can drop, and that's the day that you took a quiz, and you made a 58 on that quiz, and that quiz is setting the pace for the rest of the year. And the teacher, you're like, I don't like him. I don't think he likes me. No, I'm sure he doesn't like me because that grade is not representative of my work style. I mean, you know, it's just—and so the, the 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 tendency is, okay, if I drop this class now, it won't go against me. Anybody know what I'm talking? It's that drop date. And I always just, it was like every attack was to get me to stop. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to drop. And then I think I'm going to fail. But it's like, no, I'm not going to fail. I work hard. I study. I end up making a B plus, a C minus. I'm like, praise God. Half the battle's just not quitting. The same thing is in life. Half the battle's just not quitting. Don't allow the enemy to cause you to say, I can't. Think about it. That's the words that I, I try to never say out of my mouth. I can't. Have you ever said, I can't, I can't take it no more. Oh, really? Like, what, what are you going to do? I can't handle them kids no more. Okay, we're going to kill him. I can't handle him no more. I will kill him. <laughs> I can't take my boss giving me one more thing. Well, I thought the Bible said that we work for the Lord, not for people. So my boss isn't giving me anything that's not allowed by God. And so what we do is we get into this mentality of I can't, and then you begin to create a world of reality that you live in, and you're right, you can't. That's why you got fired. You can't. That's why your kids turned away from God. You can't, and you begin to list it out. But it had nothing to do with the devil, and that's the challenge. I think the devil gets way too much credit. Like, he whooped me up. He beat my family up. No, he beat me up in my job. No, baby, you used your mouth to curse what God was trying to bless. He never said you can't. He said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me according to Philippians 4:13? and I've been real careful just guard my mouth when I start to feel overwhelmed or I can't it's, no I can do it not in my own strength I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that God this victory doesn't come in my strength it doesn't come in my wisdom it doesn't come in my ability it comes in you and your power and your grace and your strength anyway and so I'm asking you God give me grace I'll do it all the time. God, I need your strength. God, I'm tired. I'll go to bed, and I'm like, I just need to be refreshed. And man, the right word at the right time, the right situation. Why? Because we can. The fifth thing is this. After taking one step at a time, you got to know faith requires us to go all in. Faith is risky. It really is. I mean, when Jonathan and the armor bearer go to fight the enemy, you have to recognize it could have cost them their life. I mean, they're not just playing games. Like It's like if God doesn't come through, we're going to die. And I love that about the armor bearer, right? He's like a ride or die friend. He's like, you die, I die, let's die. And they're going up there to fight the enemy and recognizing that we've got to be all in with God's plan. I think for us, we get confused and frustrated when we vacillate between God's plan and our plan. And that's the challenge. We say, God, this plan doesn't work. And God's like, but you never fully committed to it. You always had a backup plan. Look at Jonathan. And the army. they didn't have a backup plan. They didn't have a plan B. They didn't have the cavalry. They didn't have somebody coming in to rescue them. It was like either this is going to work or it's And some of you have got to commit your life 100%. I'm not looking back. There's no plan B. There's no other option. God, I'm moving forward in faith in what you have called me to do. And you got to recognize it it could cost you relationships. Some of you are holding on to friendships with people that are pulling you back into the world. You're saying, well, listen, man, I want to witness to them. Yeah, but if they keep pulling you back into the world, you got to let them go. You're not their savior. God will send someone to minister to them. He needs you to be healthy. So it may cost you your relationship. It may cost you money. You know, God will say, start tithing or give an offerings or go bless that person. So maybe even your resources and you have to say, look, I'm willing to do it because I'm going all in. I think I need this money. But God, more than that, I need to obey you because you're where the victory is coming from anyway. Maybe it's opportunity. You don't get promoted because you're a holy roller. You're that radical Christian, you know, for me, that's a compliment. I didn't know Christianity was supposed to be anything other than radical, sold out, on fire, 100% committed to Christ my whole life. And I think if we could raise up our lives and our families and our churches to be radical Christians, sold out, no compromise, all in saying, God, we're all in to what you want to do. I think the world is desperate, not for Christians that play church, but Christians that'll be the church. might cost you your reputation. And this is what I've learned. You can't build God's reputation if you're trying to save yours. You just got to say, God, it's, and you have to know this too. You think when you're doing God's work, people are going to love you. That's when the haters come out. Revelling Taylor Swift, the hater, he's going to hate, hate, hate. Come on, somebody. They just going to come out. And it's people that you love and people that you thought you needed. And you just have to say, look, it doesn't matter, God. I need you more. God, you've asked me to walk this out, and I'm not going to let someone's opinion, someone's words derail me from what you're speaking to me. you got to go all in. I remember launching this church. And, you know, we have so many new people uh, just through the years that, that don't even know the story. We, we launched a church uh, in 2013, was our first service. But Phyllis and I were on staff with Pastor Randy Clark over at Triumph in Stafford, Texas, we grew up under Pastor Randy. He's now pastoring in Nederland and Beaumont. Uh, but I remember moving here, and he asked us to come and be a part of his church plant. And I had no idea I'd be a pastor, no desire to be a pastor. I was in full-time ministry, traveling and raising up leaders in a ministry up in Tyler, Texas, and moved here in 2008, and four years later, God did something inside of my heart I'll never forget, it was March of 2012, walked into a weekly meeting and through the power of the Holy Spirit, our pastor commissioned us to launch this church here in Rosenberg, Texas. It was a scary moment. It was a time where we really had to look at each other. I remember I was excited on one hand and I was petrified on the other. Yeah, I got a paycheck from the other church. There ain't no paycheck in church plan. Come on, somebody. I got people that love me over here and and a whole city of people. I have no idea if they're going to love us or hate us. This whole region, who knows? There's no safety. There's no security. We didn't have a backup plan. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to do this. If it works, we'll make it. It It's like, no, God, we are all in. Raise money. and I never forget. I told the story of what we were going to do. I called my family. We had a family meeting in May. That's my family. That's what you are sitting in the middle of. That's the beginning of the launch team. Look at my grandpa. I don't know what grandpa's doing. He's just chilling. My boy right there, he got his. Got Adam and Jackie pastors that were here, moved to Tennessee, and my parents, and then Stephanie's in the back, my granny and grandpa, granny. Remember that day? Scared to death, trying to cast vision. We're going to launch a church. I don't really know how we're going to launch it, but we're going to launch it. And then my brother, Steve, and Stephanie, my older brother, and I remember just sharing the vision. And it's an amazing launch team. Uh, the only problem was none of them lived in the city. <laughs> so we're going to launch a church that nobody lives in except Phyllis and I. And God willing, over the next 11 months, we would have 60 people join the launch team that believed in us, believed in this vision. we got a couple down here that's about to launch a church in Corpus Christi that have joined us this morning. That's going to be your story. They're launching through the Association of Related Churches, which every time you give, a portion of your giving goes to fund church planters just like them. And so they're going to go and, you know, nobody knew that anybody would show up. And it's like, man, is anything going to have 60 people show up? And on day one, March 17, 2013, we had 345 people in Cinemark Movie Theater show up on day one. And from there, the story's been written. We've had over 7,000, I I got the numbers the other day, 7,787 people have given their life to Jesus over the last six years. Isn't that amazing? And those are people that I have personally been able to lead to the Lord through either overseas missions or local here at the church. And it has been amazing. But here's the whole thing. There was no backup plan. There was no plan B. There was no second option. There was, and I even remember this, I felt like God really tested us. And I told this story to the first service. And I remember, it was about four months into this church plant. And, and you kind of have people that say, well, you got to start a church because you got to get tithes and offerings. But I just knew it wasn't the right time. I just, I wasn't going to launch a church because I needed money. And some of you sit here, we don't even pass offering plates and buckets. We just raise up disciples that give and God moves. And back then, the same thing. We never passed a bucket or a plate, didn't pass a hat. We had a giving center in my living room. And I'll never forget, I told Phyllis, I said, if God ever, if we're ever late on any bill, any bill, I'm gonna go get a job and I'll do this church plant bivocationally. I'll, I'll work and then we'll launch this church, and, but I'm not gonna be late. I don't believe it honors God to be late on your bills. I think God's an on time God, and so that was my fleece. Kind of like Jonathan going up the hill. If they call us, we'll go. And I forget, four months in, we didn't, didn't have enough money to pay the electric bills, a couple hundred bucks. And I told Phyllis, we just had our, our interest meeting, which you guys are having. You had a few, 24 people in the house, 30 people in the house. Now, that's the time if anybody's going to give, they're going to give now. You know, you're kind of like looking at the giving center. Does anybody want to? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I didn't do that. But I was praying. I was like, Lord, you know what we need. You know what we need. And uh, it was very interesting. Nobody gave. I remember checking it. Everybody left. I'm like, Phew. I'm like, whoa. I told Phyllis, I said, hey, I, I used to be in restaurant business with my dad and so I'm like, I'll go wait tables. I'm not a beneath waiting tables. I actually was going to go and apply at Chili's. I'm like, well, somewhere at Chili's, I'd do it. No big deal. Maybe I'll build the church in the day and wait tables at night. And that night, it was about 930, a couple who had left came back, knocked on the door. And I'll never forget, I thought, well, they must have left something. You know, because sometimes people leave it at your house, they're never coming back. So they're like, hey, we need to get that. We need to come back. They didn't say that. No. They knocked on the door and I said, hey, uh, hey, how you doing? And they said, oh, we're doing good. We just, we just want you to know something. You're our pastor, this is our church, and here's our tithes. Yeah. And it was the exact amount that we needed to pay our bill. And I'll never forget how much God moved in my heart. Because it was an affirmation. It was like, God, okay, you called us. And from that moment, I remember coming back and tears in my eyes would Phyllis, us. And from that moment on, we never struggled with not one of our bills ever being paid on time. It was like something broke, something God. And, and this is what we understand for us. That is the same thing God wants to do. The miracle in your life to move you forward past that obstacle, God wants to bring it to pass. But it's your move. It's your move. That's the last thing. It's your move. Nobody else can do it but you. Nobody else can charge the hill but you. And sometimes what happens is we want God to do it supernaturally. We want God to, how many of you ever say, oh God, why don't you, God, I wish you would. And, and this is the reality. Every miracle in the Bible is God doing supernatural after people do what's natural. So in other words, what? You do your part and God will do his part. And so we get trapped and paralyzed by fear. We get trapped and paralyzed because we're overwhelmed. And God's saying, look, if you'll just move forward, I'll move forward with you. If you just take this hill, I'll take care of those people that are charging you, the enemy that's trying to destroy you, because I'm not going to let the devil steal, kill, and destroy. I'm going to bring life, and it's going to be supernatural. Let me say it like this. Your miracle is on the other side of obedience. It's on the other side. Just think about that. My miracle, whatever I've been asking God for, whatever it is that I've been believing God for, pastor, what are you saying? I'm telling you that it's on the other side of obedience. And that's the challenge, right? I mean, God didn't audibly tell me. It's very interesting with the church plant, every area of my life, anything we've done, God has never spoken to me audibly. And I know, I know that some of you think I have a bat line to God, like, hey, God, what's up? Yeah, absolutely, I'll share on that, absolutely. Oh, yeah, we'll buy the Dream Center, absolutely. We'll launch the church. I know it because there's this, there's this, this it's kind of like when you look at it, it's, it's, it's this movie-esque thing, like, well, that's pastor. I mean, God speaks profoundly to pastor. You know, sometimes it's a nudge. I've told Phyllis many times, hey, I think this is God. I've told our staff, I think this is God. Like, like, but this is what I know. I would rather miss God moving forward than miss God standing still. I would rather go forward and say, God, I believe you will. I believe you can. But even if you don't, that's okay. And it's the whispers. It's the, so, so you're not going to hear God if you're not listening for God. And some of you think, I can't hear from God. No, no, you can. What I've learned too, because I'm pretty stubborn, is that when I can't hear God speak anymore, it's because I didn't do the last thing he spoke to me. Why is God going to continue to talk to me when I didn't do what he told me to begin with? Oh, well, the heavens have gotten silent. Well, did you do what he asked you to do? We go back. That's repentance. God, I'm sorry I didn't. Forgive me. I'll go back and do it. Speak to me. And I believe that's where we're at this morning. Some of you, it's just, God, forgive me. God, I didn't do what you asked. And sometimes the opportunity's gone, like it's never to come back. But you just say, God, I recognize, I repent. Give me another opportunity, and I'll make you famous. And I just want to pray over us this morning as we close that each and every one of you would experience victory in your life. That God would do what only he can do. And on this Father's Day, men, you're champions. You can feel a little overwhelmed and you're not where you wanted to be. Hey, you're not alone. I've looked many times in my life. I'm not where I thought I would be. I'm not the dad I thought I would be. I'm not the husband I wanted to be. I'm not the the pastor that I thought I would be. I, I mean, you can just look at it. Listen, guys, the reality is nobody's perfect. But what I do promise is this, that from this day forward, I'm going to get better. Here's my goal for everyone. And you can ask my staff, I tell them all the time, I just want to be 1% better today than I was yesterday. Just 1%. I can't do 10. Some of you can do it. I can't, can't really do 5 all the time. But if I could just be 1%, just, just let me be a little better. Father, I pray over each person in this place. Lord, victory in their life. God, help them. Lord, I pray over the men, that you brought men here today that needed to hear this. That God, you have moved in their heart. Holy Spirit, you spoke to them through your word. You deposited something inside and God, I'm asking not to let anything steal it. Faith began to arise. I I could feel faith in this room. I could just feel it. God, that they could charge the mountain, not only while they're sitting here, but when they're living it out, outside these four walls. And Lord, I'm asking you, speak. Your servants are listening. God, nobody has this direct bat line to you, but we do have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That's all you on the inside. So Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us? This is where you begin to make it personal. I'm going to give us just a little bit of space and can you just begin to talk to God? Can you just tell him God whatever He's placed on your heart in this moment this is where you just begin to respond and just some of you need to repent. some of you need to make declarations. Some of you I, I don't know what it is, but you you do just begin right now just talk to God. come on tell him. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There's some of you here. The presence of God is in this place, and I sense the Holy Spirit is dealing with you individually. And, but there are some here that you don't have a relationship with God. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And I love what Romans ten nine and 10 says, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. That's why we say it's the gift of salvation. Someone says, well, what am I saved from? Well, Bible also talks about the wages of sin is death. And when he's talking there, when you sin, you don't die physically, not most of the time. It's a relational death. It's a spiritual death. You're separated from God. Our sin separates us from God, which is why we understand Jesus came to this earth. All God, all man, lived a sinless life and then willingly gave his life away. They crucified him on the cross. He was buried. And the Bible says three days later, the power of God resurrected him. And it's that resurrection life that lives on the inside of us when we receive Jesus, when we confess him as Lord. That's the beauty of it. And you can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. In fact, none of us earn it. None of us deserve it. We all deserve death and hell. But a loving God sent his son so that we could receive this free gift, not of works, so nobody could boast. But it's by grace through faith. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer of surrender. And if that's you, the presence of God is really in this place. He's just heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. But you say, Pastor, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Maybe you just raise your hand just as an act of surrender. Just raise it up high. I just want to see you right here, right now. I'm ready to surrender my life. Yes, yes. Just give you another second. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm to pray this prayer together. Let's pray. Say, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. I'm a sinner. Save me. I believe that you died and rose again. I'm asking you to forgive me. Wash away my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me new life. Right now, I receive a fresh start. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, come on, worship God this morning.